Welcome to our Frontline City Church podcast. This message will activate and inspire you in the supernatural love of God to find your purpose and reach your destiny through Christ. When Jesus was confronted with a little girl who they said was dead, he said, no, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And he called her out, he said, Talita, come, child, come, child, come. And for somebody here today, they've come here thinking their faith is dead. They've come here thinking they've lost their way. And Jesus is saying today, child, come. Your faith is not dead. Your faith is sleeping. And so for every one of you today who is here, I invite you, child, come. Come into his presence. Come and surrender. For where Jesus speaks, his words change circumstances. For some, he said, your sins are forgiven. And their lives changed. For others, he said, do you want to be made whole? And their lives changed. There's a word of God, from God, for each one of us today. And we pray that it give me the courage to preach what is a difficult message or an uncomfortable message. But that it give us the courage to respond to his word. Child, come. If you've been in church for the last three weeks and you were here during the move from the old premises to here you will have noted a shifting in the spirit for a long time it has been preached and prophesied that there's going to be a shifting in the atmosphere and in the spirit but that has to be manifest in the natural that day was that change. That move was that shifting. And if you're here today, it's too late for you. You are part of the shifting. You are part of the moving of God. That move happened under the most unlikely circumstances. Through the most trying situations. Through an insane attack of the, of the enemy. To try and stop this from materializing. But today I want to tell you that Jesus has planted us here. And things are going to go hectic from here. You see, when Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. They acted in faith. They didn't know where they were going. But in that process, the storm came. And in that process of that storm, 
Jesus revealed who He is. His glory was revealed. His authority was revealed. And we sit here today. We have seen the manifestation of God's glory and His authority in this place already week after week. So I believe that the current storms that rage over mom and dad, over this church as a collective, and over each person that is here, is going to be subdued. All we have to do is to continue in obedience. And I suppose I could stop there, but <laughs> I, I, had, I went to a friend of mine who's moved to a new premises in Pretoria. And we do business together, etc. And when I phoned him, I said, give me directions. And he did. He's in a, one of these Lani estates in Pretoria. And he said to me, my house is the one in the circle. It's the one with the grapevine in the driveway. Which is a very odd thing to find nowadays. Okay. Um, but it makes it easy ident easily identifiable. And so I went in and I could spot the grapevine in the pergola over the driveway with the grapes. And as much as it struck me as odd, I, I just thought that's fine. And then we did what we, we visited a while and whatever. And when I left, I noticed, but this thing's exceptionally high. I said, man, you're going to struggle to harvest anything from this thing. You're going to need a ladder to get up there. It's probably about three meters high, which makes grapevine, the purpose of the grapevine, null and void. If you can't get to the fruit... And he said to me, well, this thing has been genetically modified not to bear fruit. It's only ornamental. And he says, I'm going to take it out. As soon as I get around to it, because he's just moved in, there's other things. But when he gets around to it, he's going to take it out because, hey, it's messy. Um, you're cleaning up after this plant and it doesn't bear fruit. And it's only ornamental. So there's no fruit coming from this thing that you're looking after. And it has no value. And so, I guess this is the kind of Christianity the world has become accustomed to. Um, the world has somehow squeezed us into a place where it says, you can believe what you like. As long as it doesn't become messy for me. Oh, I, I quite like this whole thing of saying we live in a Christian country. But don't make your Christian values mine. I quite like, the, you know, when I, when I go to hospital, I want to tick the Christian box. That if things go, go pear-shaped, I would like a, a Christian to come pastor to come and see me not a rabbi or a whatever again so we, we like this comfortable christianity and being the kind of person i am driving back from pretoria i thought there has to be a message in that grapevine somewhere And I, I was brought to Matthew 21, 
verses 18 to 22. And I don't know if I'm going to stand in the way of the slide, but I'm going to read for you anyway. So, but if you've got your own Bibles, please, please follow on your Bibles. And it's from the Amplified Version. And it's the barren fig tree. Now early in the morning, as Jesus was coming back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree at the roadside, he went to it and found nothing but leaves on it. And he said to it, never again will fruit come from you. And at once the fig tree withered. When the disciples saw it, they were astonished and asked, how is it that the fig tree has withered away all at once? Jesus replied to them, I assure you, I must solemnly say to you, if you have faith, personal trust and confidence in me, and do not doubt or allow yourself to be drawn into two directions, you will not only do what it was done to this fig tree, but even if you say to the mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen if God wills it. And whatever you ask for in prayer, believing you will receive. Now, uh, it's a passage you don't yeah, preach from the pulpit very often. Okay, because it has some serious connotations. Um, but let me explain something about this fig tree and why it became offensive to Jesus. It's a wild fig tree, so they would just grow randomly and were often growing in the cities. Okay? So the backstory to this is, or the, the context of this passage is, Jesus had just gone through the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's on the business end of his mission on earth. He's on his way to the cross. So his time is limited. And so they have the triumphal entry. After that, he goes into the synagogue or to the, tem the, the temple and he drives out those who have treated in, turned it into a, tr a trading den. And he clears the church, the temple. And then he comes back and he sees this passage or this, this thing, which is an enacted parable. It's not a parable he t tells his disciples about. He shows them. And then he goes on to teach them. But this fig tree and a wild fig tree becomes a massive tree. Okay, it's not in an orchard, whatever. So it would often be in the, in the towns and people would come to them and sit in the shade of the tree. And when it's in fruit, they would take fruit and they'd leave. And this tree became offensive to Jesus because it was a deceptive tree. Okay, now how do you get a deceptive tree? Okay, a fig tree, when it in, in season, it first grows the new fruit. Okay, and it's called puggy figs. So, the, when the fruit develops, then the leaves come to protect the fruit from the sun and from predators, etc. Okay, so when Jesus got there, he was hungry. Because there was leaves on the tree from a distance, he expected to see fruit. And there was none. And so he cursed the tree. Because it wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. Okay, because a tree, a fruit tree is identified by its fruit, not by its leaves. And somehow the church has become the place that is a place of refuge and shelter, but not much else. Okay, somehow the church's voice has been silent. The church's fruit has been stolen. And so, 
he curses this tree. And he says to disciples, this you too can do. But you see, what was the problem with the no fruit? It was still offering refuge. But you see, if there's no fruit, there's no harvest. And Jesus is all about the harvest. Not about the protection of the tree. Okay, where there's no fruit, there's no seed. So the, the message or the fruit can't be sustained, it cannot continue. But also, the fig tree was the poor man's offering that was brought to the altar in the Old Testament. So those who didn't have livestock or crops would go and cut the tree with young fruit from the fig tree. And that branch would be brought to the altar to keep the fire burning. The wood would keep the fire on the altar burning. And the fruit would be the offering. It would be the first fruit. The young fruit. And so the poor had access to the altar. And so if there's no harvest, if the church is not about the harvest, if the church is not about the seed, and if the church is not about leading people to the altar, then it is fruitless. The church's value and its identity is not in the structure. It is in the fruit. You see, the other thing is the trees offer shade and rest, but the fruit offers nourishment. If people come into this place and leave unnourished, we have failed. For each of us here today, I want to suggest that some of us, we all come here with an element of barrenness. We all come here with a, a need for rest and restoration. We come here today with brokenness and fruitless parts in our lives. And here's the thing God wants to speak to you today. I... often get to watch Apostle Maldonado because the time I get up is when they start church in America. Okay. <laughs> this is about 3 o'clock in the morning. Now, the relationship there is that Apostle Nikki is mom and dad's spiritual father. Apostle Maldonado is his spiritual father. So there's a flow in the anointing. And right in the beginning of COVID, when the lockdowns happened, etc., I happened to be watching him, and his first and opening prayer was to stand up and to rebuke COVID. And that's a very bold prayer to pray, particularly when nobody knows what the, what the end result is or where anything was going at that stage was Level one, it was whatever the stage is at that stage. There was confusion. There was uncertainty. And he stood up and he said, By the authority vested in me through heaven, I rebuke COVID. And he anointed the doors of his church. And through 
the whole takeover process, okay, that we've gone through, the testimonies of people being healed from COVID, people being unaffected by COVID, people the econ- not being affected by the economy that COVID brought it in his church, still are testimonies that are real and live today. But when I heard him rebuke this thing, I thought, sure, hey, that's a, that's a radical statement to make. And wondered if I had the courage to do that. And I thought he was a wild horse because everybody else was saying something different. And the Holy Spirit just said to me, but what if he's not wrong? And yet Jesus says to us, we have the authority to rebuke that which leads to barrenness. We have the authority to rebuke that which makes us fruitless. Jesus doesn't tolerate barrenness. He doesn't tolerate fruitlessness. You cannot sit here week after week and not bear fruit. Because where Jesus is present, transformation is happens. Where Jesus is present, healing happens. Where Jesus is present, acceleration and renewal happens. And then in Matthew 7, Jesus was talking to his disciples. And he says, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Now that's harsh, because the reality is that heaven and hell is real. We've got to the point where we like to preach about heaven, but we've gotten about the reality of hell. There's a choice that has to be made. And that choice is not Jesus making it. It is whether we accept Him or whether we reject Him. He's given us the choice. Jesus came to save the world. But when He comes again, He's coming in judgment of the world. And He's coming to judge the fruit, not the tree. So, lucky for you, and no, not lucky for you, sorry. But what makes me drive 50 kilometers to get to church? It is the fruit that I see in the lives of mom and dad. And of each person here in front line. Gavin spoke last night about the love that is present here. This, this church is known for its love. There was a point long before I started at this church when dad and I were talking and I said to him, but you have more pastors than you have congregation. (laughs) Um, But leaders build leaders. The anointing creates pastors. And so we sit here under this powerful anointing. We don't have a choice but to bear fruit. And if you're doubting any of the stuff, if you're sitting here 
And there's an element of doubt in your mind today as to whether you are good enough. Whether this is for you or whether it's not. You have already been purified by the blood of Jesus. It is not by your good works, but it is by His blood that we perform good works. And then, shortly after that, in Luke, Jesus tells the parable of the barren fig tree. Okay, so there's the enactment of the barren, tree, barren fig tree. And then he tells the parable of the barren fig tree in Luke. And then it's in Luke chapter 13, verses 6 to 9. Then Jesus told the story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his garden, I've wasted three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. Now, that three years is an important time in this story because Jesus' ministry was three years. God is the guy who planted the, the tree. Jesus is the gardener. And God comes and says, I've wasted three years of my son on this earth and I've seen no reward. I've seen no fruit. But then Jesus says to him, he says, God says, cut it down. And Jesus says, the gardener answers, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year. And I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, you can cut it down. In your barrenness, in your fruitlessness today, Jesus is saying to you, I'll give you special attention. And I'll plant you in a place where you will prosper. I'll plant you in a place where your fruitfulness will be in abundance. When Jesus went to the cross, He did it for you and I. He did it so that we could break out of that place of barrenness and step into a place of fruitfulness, of life and of victory. Jesus pleads with his Father for an opportunity to nurture you and I. Are you prepared to surrender to what He will do for you? He will work with you even in your season of barrenness. Even when we're struggling to see the end. Jesus is putting water, living water and fertilizer in place and support in place. He's cutting out the dead wood to stimulate new growth, new opportunities. Jesus invites you. Talita, come. I want to give you special attention and I want to plant you in a fertile ground. We, a couple of years ago, were very fortunate 
to have two farmers. Jared shared about his farming abilities short, just now. But we had two guys join us. We're commercial farmers in the Free State, Christo and Nico. Um, and they were salt of the earth type guys. And if you were to invite them to a five star hotel, they'd put on socks when they get dressed up, okay? These guys walk barefoot, they do whatever, but they have a passion for farming. And as we went to the villages, the word had got out that they were farmers. And so all the local farmers in Lesotho would flock to them for advice on how to be better farmers. And they would keep telling them, and they would tell them, but there would always be pushback. And the local guys were saying, no, but you don't understand because we farm on the side of the mountain. You've never farmed on the side of a mountain. So we have a problem with erosion. So we have to stop erosion because else we lose our crops. And these guys were saying, but this is what you need to do. And they said, no, it doesn't work. And the local farmers would let the turf grass or the field grass grow between their crops. And Nico and Krista said to them, get rid of this stuff. They're starving your crops of nutrients. And they said, but we can't. He says, well, put more nutrients in. Put better fertilizer in. Do whatever you need to do to make the crop grow. And eventually it was like a stalemate. Because the guys in the suit said, well, this is what we know. This is what we can afford. This is how we, we're not prepared to change the way. We know there's a problem with the erosion. But we are, they are sowing A-grade seeds and getting a B-grade harvest. Because there were things stuck in the life out of the soil that needed to grow these A-grade seeds. Now, I don't know about you, but I have stuff in my life that sucks the life out of the, the fruit that God has given me. Because I have circumstances that are not ideal. What's your excuse? What are your circumstances that are sucking the life out of the life that God gives you? So often we become complacent in what we know. We can become complacent in our barrenness because it's the way it's always been. Sometimes we lose sight of the fact that God's called us to be fruitful. We're just happy to be the tree on which someday a fruit will grow. What are the things that you've just done always that you might need to change? What are the traditions you're stuck in? One of the challenge we have, challenges we have in Lesotho is to get the people to step away from ancestral worship and to follow Christ. And I'm not suggesting that we do ancestral worship, but we have other traditions, other stuff that keeps us out of God's presence, out of His abundance, out of His fruitfulness. But you see, <laughs> the, the narrative changes, man. The narrative changes. As we go into John and we look at fruitfulness in John, you, you, I've got to set, set the picture for you because if you go to John chapter 2, we have Jesus' first miracle, which is at the wedding in Canaan, where he turns water into wine. And it's a prophetic miracle. Where he says, I'm going to pour my spirit into 
dirty vessels and it's going to produce the finest wine. That's me and you. And then at the end of John, at the end of John, he takes the cup on his, at the Last Supper and he takes, picks up the wine. He says, this is my blood shed for you and for many. And then in, in chapter 15, in chapter 15, he picks it up again. And he says, oh man, we are in the middle. He says, Jesus, sorry, John chapter 15. Verse 1 to 17. It says, I am the true grapevine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more fruit. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. You are part of the story. And then he says, remain in me. And I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. So we've gone there from no fruit to fruit to more fruit to much fruit. You cannot be in His presence and stagnate. There's acceleration. There's abundance. There's fruitfulness. And it is the fruit that leads people to the cross. Just as the new fruit on the fig tree was the sacrifice at the altar. It is the fruit that people see and get from us that leads them to the grace of God. That brings them to the point where they can drink from the cup of forgiveness. And they can feed from the bread that He wants them. Ooh, where was I? For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burnt. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, when you produce much fruit, you're my disciples. At this point, it says, and this brings great glory to my Father. You cannot be a disciple if you're not producing much fruit. You cannot be a disciple unless you're producing much fruit. It says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and I remain in His love. I have told you these things that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And right now, I want to ask you, what is there 
that steals your joy. It is so often and so easy for our circumstances to steal our joy. And our joy is only complete in our fruitfulness. So if your joy is being stolen, then I want to say to you, Talita kum, child come. It says, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you slaves because you're my because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. So often, the easy option is to feed the hungry. The difficult part is to help them to become self-sufficient. The difficult part is to give the one who's struggling lasting hope. It's easy to give them hope for a moment. But Christ calls us to give him lasting hope. It's easy to take the homeless in. But it's more difficult to bring them home to Christ. To bring them into his presence. Then he says, I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command love each other. And I want to put you to the challenge today. Sometimes we walk away from difficult things because we think our fruit is not sufficient. Sometimes we walk away. From the things where God is saying, ask me. Ask me. If everything was easy, you wouldn't have to ask him. If you could operate independently, you wouldn't have to ask him. Go into those places where you are, have no choice but to ask him. And watch him provide. Watch him produce much fruit. FCC are going to build a thousand seat auditorium. There's the pictures over there. That's going to happen. Just as surely as this property happened. Okay, mom and dad are going to make that happen. With a few others, okay. But I want you to look around you quickly. Have a look. Currently, our attendance is on average around 65, 70 people a Sunday. It doesn't make sense to build a thousand-seater if this is the attendance. But mom and dad are going to build it. So you're either all going to sit in the front row or you are going to have to become fruitful. It is by the fruit that God will reveal in each one of you that that auditorium will be full. 
when we built the church in Lesotho and we had our first official service there we prayed that the church would be too small it's silly man it's silly Okay, you spend five years building something, you pray that it's going to be too small. And it's true, it's not. It's true, it's Bob. It was too small. We ran out of space. Okay, we had to look at moving and planting different churches. My prayer is that that auditorium and opening day will be too small. The only way we're going to get there is if you choose to bear much fruit. But you cannot bear fruit on your own. So your job is simply to abide in me. Okay, it says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. You'll go from no fruit to fruit to more fruit to much fruit. You've got to start the process. And you can only do it if you're part of the vine. If you're connected to the vine... To the vine keeper. One of the classic examples of abiding is have you ever tried to cross the road with a, a busy road with a four-year-old? Not lately. It's, it's, it's worthwhile remembering. Because you see, the only way he can get to the other side safely is if you hold your hand. And sometimes he does it willingly. When it's over, the traffic is overwhelming, they are happy to hold your hand because they seek the guidance and the safety. But there's other times when they do it reluctantly and they're trying to break free. And then you have to hold on tighter. And so our relationship in abiding with God is the same as that. Okay, when the times are tough, when the seas rage and the storms rage, we hold on voluntarily. But when it's not so bad, we are struggling to break free and God is holding us in place. That is the abiding in Him. Even when you don't want to. Even when it's going well. An example of the vine, but Jesus is the vine. And I believe this ground was given to us because Jesus has planted himself here. He sought a permanent place to bring fruitfulness, for the vine to mature, for the vine to come to fruition. But he also says, if you are separated from me, you are cut off or you are picked up you become useless and you are burnt and again heaven and hell is revealed but the choice God always wants us in heaven hell is your personal preference okay you choose it if you're not choosing heaven you're choosing hell And all you have to do is stay connected and abide and remain. Again, that's in the world that wants a comfortable church 
one that is just leaves and no, no fruit. That gives rest and no, expects nothing of us. How much time do you spend in his presence? On Friday at, at the well, mom and dad said, it is through his presence and abiding and resting in his presence that revival is going to come. But what does that look like? When you leave here, does the presence follow you? When you leave here, are you still pursuing the presence? Or are we going to wait for next Sunday? Or the next at the well before we seek God's presence again? How much time do you spend in His presence? To spend time in His presence requires discipline, sacrifice, and commitment. You know, a friend of ours, there's some things I don't understand, okay? So I, I try to get insight into them. So we have a friend whose life mission it is, is to run marathons. And so, for entertainment, she, you, you got it, okay? <laughs> she drives all over the country or flies to go and participate in a marathon. Uh, I don't get that. <laughs> um, sometimes I think she runs further than I can phone. But that's, but she is the epitome of discipline, sacrifice, and commitment. It doesn't matter what the weather is. She's out there pounding the road because there's another marathon to run. <coughs> it doesn't matter what else there is, what social activities. If it's running time, she's running. And she'll party later. And once she, she changes her diet to, to fit her activities. How, much, how many of us are prepared to change our diet to fit what God's calling us to do? Come on, that's a, that's a sign of sacrifice, isn't it? When, when Jesus called his disciples, Peter Simon was in his boat mending his net. He said, come follow me. He put it down. He left. He didn't fold up his net first. How much are you prepared to sacrifice to be with him? Is an hour of sleep a big sacrifice to get up earlier to spend an hour with him? It was God's own, Jesus' own instruction to his disciples. Can you not spend one hour awake with me? But yet, we said, oh, jeez, I'm not a morning person, eh? Don't, Jesus, just don't make me get up early. Jesus, just don't do this. How much are you prepared to sacrifice? And then we'll do it once or twice. But then the discipline of doing it consistently becomes hard. We become distracted. And the commitment. You see, Abiding requires us to pursue His presence. So, and I, I'm going to tell you something which I probably shouldn't tell you, but it was a long, long time ago, and I, I was a comfortable pew warmer in our church. Um, I used to go to church because it was lacquer, and I needed to set things on for my children, and we always set grace at the table, so I needed to 
found out was it grace. And we got more and more involved in the church. And at one point I said to Amanda, we are always at church. Can we do something else for a change? Okay, I'm not that person anymore. Okay, because I encountered Jesus. But if that's your feeling about having to be in home cells, at prayer meetings, at community outreaches, then how, where is your level of commitment? I'm prepared to make Sundays available and only for an hour and a half because that's how much time I can give you before my wrist burns. Or are we prepared to sacrifice? Abiding requires us to pursue His presence. You see, fruit will happen by itself. For by the blood of Jesus, you've already been purified. So it's not about whether you're worthy or not. It's about where you're present. Because if you spend your time at work, if your career has become that important to you, then that's the fruit you're going to reap. You see, here's the amazing thing. Is that when you are connected to the vine, the farmer does everything to make sure that the harvest is good. He wards off the pests. He wards off the predators. He wards off the germs. He makes sure that there's proper nutrients in the ground to get the best harvest. So whilst your fruit is forming, God is providing the protection, the sustenance that you need to be fruitful. But I want to... How are we doing for time? Okay, we need to bring this thing home, man. I'm going to land it now, they say. <laughs> In Galatians 5, verse 19 to 26. It says, Now the practices of the sinful nature are clearly evident. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, total irresponsibility, lack of self-control. And we know that. Can you can identify those things as a cis man. Not for me. I won't do that. And then it goes on in verse 20. It says, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, disputes, dissension, factions that promote heresies, envy. Oh my goodness. Okay, I, I, I don't know if you can identify those things. Okay, but they, that's not the fruit that Jesus is planting. Okay, those are the things that are being pruned. Okay, that's the dead wood that must go. Envy, drunkenness, riotous behavior, and other things like these. I warned you before, and just as I did previously, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so we know we have forgiveness, and so when I have 
stuff that triggers anger. I know there's a problem. When there's stuff that triggers jealousy, I know there's a problem. And I have a God who's merciful. And a God who forgives time and time again. But you can't leave it unresolved. Because you can't have good fruit and bad fruit on the same tree. And, but the one thing that, that struck for me a, a serious chord, and it's something I've had to seek forgiveness for whilst preparing. And it's the word idolatry. We like to skim over it because, you know, in, in, in the, the Ten Commandments, the first one says, I am your Lord, your God, and you shall have no other gods beside me. Okay? Um, and he speaks about idolatry. We, we skip over that one. We like to go with honor your mother, your father, do not cover your neighbor's wife, but we don't often deal with idolatry because it's not particularly relevant in our culture anymore, I think. I think. However, however, I mean, we, we, it's easy to make your career an idol. It's easy to make success an idol. Um, I'm going to get that gold medal at all costs. Okay, and that, that becomes the distraction that takes you away from God. And what is the, the biblical meaning in Webster's is idolatry in, in Christianity, the worship of someone or something other than God as though it were God. The first of the biblical Ten Commandments pro prohibits idolatry. You shall have no other God before, before me. When the tree becomes more important than the fruit, that's idolatry. If I am the tree that needs to bear fruit and my needs are more important than the fruit, that's idolatry. Because then we invert the relationship where I become God and God becomes the slave. God becomes the servant. And I think there's a very real risk in our current faith that we become that significant in our own eyes that we lose the significance of who God is. So, when I pray the Lord's Prayer and give me my daily bread is more important than may your kingdom come On earth as it is in heaven. If I rush through that part of the Lord's Prayer to get to the part where it says, Lord, give me my daily bread. Then I become more important than the kingdom. If your prayer life is taken up 90% with your needs and possibly 10% with other people that you know. Then you have become more important. And I know there's times when I am very guilty of that. When I come to God for what He can do for me and not what I can do for Him.
Lord, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Amen. Oh, sorry, and thank you for my blessings today. <laughs> when I bargain with God, I say, Lord, I'll go to Lesotho, but you need to make this available for me. Not, Lord, I will go despite my lack, despite my barrenness. When your circumstances prevent you from serving God, then the beggar comes to the gate. And I'm struggling to put food on my family's table. I said, not today, pal. Not today. I have failed God. When I would love to do this, or I, Lord, I just can't get my head around doing that right now. Our relationship is struggling. I need to work on my relationship. Or when I count the cost of serving Him, and this is a very real discussion I had with God towards the end of last year, and I said to Him, "At what cost do I continue to serve You?" And He says, "Well, what did it cost me to give You eternal life?" And so when you weigh up your sacrifices in relation to the sacrifice he's made. And what is he saying? He says, I will take away all the bad things. I will take away the bad fruit and I'll give you the good fruit. What cost do you really have? Or when I justify my sinfulness before him. Just like I listen to farmers, you know, I farm in hostile territory where it's up against the side and when it rains, the erosion is going to come. And Lord, you don't understand my circumstances. And so I have coping mechanisms that are in place and I do them in private and it doesn't affect my ability to serve you, Lord. But you can't have good fruit and bad fruit on the same tree. Psalm 92 verse 12 to 15 says but the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon for they are transplanted to the Lord's own house this ground is the Lord's own ground this is his harvest field Even in old age, they will, remain, they will produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. And they will remain declared the Lord is just. But here's the thing. No farmer ever plants a crop because he likes the look of his fields. Nobody will call you and say, come, have a look at my millies. They're all this high now. When you drive past them and they're green, and they, they're growing, it, it is something to behold. And I, I have a problem and I struggle with the guy who, who, who farms with sunflowers because truly his crop is stunning. But he will harvest it all the same because it's about the harvest. 
not about what it looks like. Jesus taught his disciples the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus has always been about the harvest and not about the plant. But he will do everything to make sure that the, he gets a maximum harvest by nurturing that plant, by keeping it weed-free, by keeping it disease-free, and making sure that it grows properly. When you look at a grapevine, the vine starts here, and then they have these wires, and they have a post that supports it, and so it goes, and it goes as far as the vine stretches. There's support in place for it. And Jesus said to you, no matter where you go, if you stay connected to me, you will find the support you need. I will keep you disease-free. I will keep you growing. You will never stagnate. And so, again, you may think that we Are dead our faith is dead our hope is dead our opportunities is dead Jesus says to you Talita come child come I want to touch you now so if you have heard God speaking if God has stirred in your heart and you want to come and just simply stand here and say to him, here I am, Lord. I want to be planted in this place and I want to be connected in this place. I invite you to come forward now. We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Our services are streamed live on our Facebook page every Sunday morning at 9.30. For more information and resources, please go to our website www.frontlinecitychurch.co.za or look us up on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube.